All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the world of Kabbalah. And literally, this is the world of Kabbalah. So I said this last week. I'm going to say it again because I'm so stoked about this, this, this course. I've taught many courses on Kabbalah. I teach a weekly class on Kabbalah every Sunday morning. By the way, that is not a plug for Sunday morning's Kabbalah, although it's not, not a plug either. So I teach Kabbalah often. I've taught a lot of classes over the years. Right now on our SoundCloud account, there's over 1,800 classes. In case you're ever bored, not bored, sorry, that was the wrong thing. In case you ever want to listen and enjoy classes, there's plenty to choose from. So I've taught, thank God, a lot of classes in my tenure. However, I will say, one second, I will say this, this course, pleasure, this course is something special. Number one, we're all here together. Never happened before. Now I know, we've learned together in other contexts, but this group, these individuals here together, never happened before in history, right? You're in the room with people that you've never perhaps been in the room with in this context. This is unique. Plus, we are studying a series that is phenomenal. There's a lot of areas of Kabbalah that you and I could study. But this course seeks to take the mystical wisdom and make it accessible to everybody and set it out in a logical, orderly fashion. Last week, we stated the objective of the course. The objective of the course is to present... One of, the, one of the biggest ideas in Kabbalah, known as Seder Hishalshalut, and lay it out for us all. Now, what is Seder Hishalshalut? This is not a quiz. You can put down those number two pencils that you don't have in your hands. Seder Hishalshalut is literally, well, literally means the order. Seder means order, as we know, right, Seder? Hishalshalut, the order of... We translate it as devolution or evolution. Shalshelet is a chain. The order of the chain. The order of... Oded, I look at you. How would you... Tra- yes, there's only one Oded in the room. How would you translate Hishtal Shalut? Chain of events. Chain of events. The order of the chain of events. That may sound redundant, but here we are. Hey, welcome. Come on in, chef. <laughs> All right, so here we go. So last week, last week we explored Seder Shalshalut. This is going to be a key to the series, right? This map that you all have in your books, this map is a key. And by the way, what better feeling than getting a brand new book that you have to peel the cellophane or saran, whatever that's called, off it. Isn't that a great feeling, right? We need like a YouTube unboxing slash uncellophaning of this. This map right here is the key to this course. Because on the left side, this is what the spectrum of reality looks like from source to creation from top to bottom. Right here, I mean, this is not an actual photo, but it's a depiction of the elements and the dimensions that Kabbalah speaks of. On the right side is how all of this is mirrored in our soul, in our reality. Remember what we said last week. When we look at ourselves, we can see God. By understanding how we operate, we can see how God operates. By understanding how God operates, we can see how we operate. The two are parallel to each other. This is a very important idea in Kabbalah. We're creating the image of God. Hence, these mirror images side by side. Now, before we get too deep in this, I just want to share with you a quick joke. As one does. Did you hear about the mystic who invested in startups? 
No? Okay. So he wanted to be a venture capitalist <laughs> and turn private equity owners into profits. I didn't promise it was a good joke. I just said it's a joke. All right. By the way, the worse the joke, the more pain I see in your eyes, the happier I feel. I'm kidding. That's horrible. Who says that? All right. Back to the story. Back to the story. So we are going to continue our exploration this evening. Last week. Oh, one other major idea. As we explore the Seder Hishashlot, the order, the chain of events that produces our reality. As I explained last week, we're starting from the bottom up. Typically, people say, well, let's start with God and then work to us. No, no, no. We're starting with us and working our way back up. Why? It's easier that way. We can relate most closely to us, to ourselves. So we begin with us. And last week, again, if you want to reference the chart, you can. Lesson number one is at the bottom of this, of this chart. We explored the three Kabbalistic worlds or dimensions known as Biyah. Biyah is an acronym in Hebrew for Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. The worlds of, the translation is, the worlds of creation, formation, and action. And last week we explained what does all of this mean? What's the concept? What it means is simple. What it means is that this is the birth of otherness, the birth of self-identity, the birth of ego. So you start off, everything starts off, hey, welcome, as you can also grab that stuff, but you probably want one of these guys. All right, Thank you. got you covered. So you, so we start off, everything starts off as part of God. The way it ends is with us, you and I, and human beings who could deny the very existence of God. How do we get so far? How do we get to that place where a person could say, I don't believe in God. I don't think there's a creator. It's just, it's just this. All of this just happened. Right, like the story with Maimonides. He was once having a debate with one of his friends, a fellow philosopher, but who was an atheist. This fellow walks out of the room of his, of his own office. Maimonides looks on his desk, this other guy's desk. He sees that this fellow had, he was also a poet. He had penned a poem, but hadn't finished it. So Rambam, Maimonides, finishes the poem. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's exquisite. Then he takes the, the inkwell, you know, pre-ballpoint. He takes the inkwell, and he spills it at the corner of the page. The guy comes back in eventually. He says, wow, thanks for finishing the poem. He says, me finish the poem? I didn't finish the poem. I by accident knocked down the inkwell and it formed all these letters. He's like, you kidding me, bro? Like, what? Like, you spilled the ink and it happened to form this perfect combination of letters and words that actually make sense and complete the poem that was there before? Are you kidding me? You want me to believe that? Maimonides says, and you want me to believe that all of this with the exquisite beauty and perfect symmetry and the way everything works together, all of this, you, you, want, you want me to believe that all this is by accident? Come on. Back to the story. How does ego, how does self not just self-awareness, but self-identification. Where is that born? How does that happen? How, where does that come from? We said last week, it's Bria Yitzira Asiya. Bria literally means creation. Bria is the state, the dimension where other is born, where the other is born. There's God plus one. The other is born in Bria. 
Yitzira is where it forms a self-identity. Asiya is where it says, like the teenager, I don't need you in my life, to the parent, I don't need you in my life anymore. Hopefully the teenager doesn't say that. But that's where that happens. That's where we sometimes kick God out of the house. Asiya. Begins in Bria. There's another born. Self-awareness in Yitzira. In Asiya, the world of action. Full-fledged selfhood. We explained the parallel on the human side last week. Thought, speech, and action. There's the soul. That's the core. And then there's the layer of other. The layer of other, a separate layer, is our thought, our speech, and our action. It's not who we are, it's what we do. It's not who we are, it's what we say. It's not who we are, it's what we think. And all of those three layers are in our control. No matter how we feel or what's floating around in our ideas, you and I have the choice at any moment, at every moment, we have the choice what we're going to do right now, what we're going to say, and even what we're going to think. We're not a slave to the impulses that are pulsating inside of us. We're not slaves to the drives right, that are innate within us, we have the power to choose how we show up in any given moment, whether it's in action or in speech or even in thought. And that's a powerful idea. All of this was last week's class, if it sounded familiar. If it didn't, that's also okay. right? So all of this was last week's class. Today, we go a step above. We go one step up because Kabbalah Right, here's the big news. Kabbalah speaks of not three, but four worlds. We spoke about the lower three, but there's one above that we completely did not talk about last week. And that is the world of, and this is, you're going to need to know this term tonight, the world of Atsilut. Atsilut is translated typically as the world of emanation. Before creation, sorry, let me start from the bottom up. Before the world of action. Before the world of formation, even before the world of creation, there was the world of Atsilot. I feel like this is Star Wars, and I'm like throwing in a prequel now, right? Any Star Wars fans? All right, Mark, you got it. All right, yeah, so I feel like this is, if this is the background story about how these worlds came into being. Before these worlds existed, another prior world called the world of Atsilot, the world of emanation. Tonight, we explore the origins of ego, the origin of definition. We said definition or self-identification is born in Bria, but what happens before that? How do we get to that place? And so we're going to explore this in our session today. We're going to get, and, and I, I'm, I'm telling you straight up at the top, we're going to get deep into Kabbalah. And you may find yourself wondering what we're talking about. If that's the case, feel free to ask. Or... Just hold on for the ride, because at some point it will start making more sense. Uh, but, but, but really, uh, feel free to ask as we go through the journey. There's a lot of incredible concepts, a lot of deep concepts in Kabbalah, and it's really about storytelling. Today we're going to tell a story of the world of Atzilut. What it is, where it is in this, in this schematic, why it is, what role it serves, and then, of course, how it impacts and imprints on our lives. What is the inner Atzilut? Within us, Mark. Quick question before you start. Yes. Thought, speech, and action. Yes. So uh, the Alter Rebbe talks about. Yes. Tanya. Correct. Did he perceive that in Kabbalah? No, 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 no. This is all in Kabbalah. But he took these ideas. The Alter Rebbe and Tanya took these ideas and made it click for us. It's like, ah, that's what it means. 
That's how it's relevant. Because I remember hearing about these worlds up there, but oh, I get it. I have these inside of me. That's, that's the chap, that's the, that's the big idea. These are not just cosmic realms. These are very close to home. So tonight's class is going to take place in, th- in four acts. Act number one, who's the wagon driver now? Act number, I don't know why I get a kick out of that title. More than, more than I should. Act number two, can God have a bad day? Act number three, the genesis of numbers. You see what I did there? And number four, act four, your soul reading. All right, so there's so much to get to. Let's jump in right now. So here's how I want to begin. I want to begin with a, with a question. A question that will seem personal, but it's kind of universal slash personal. And that is, do you know your individual, unique purpose in life? Now, hold on. Before you answer the question, I don't mean, do you know what you do every day after you wake up in the morning? That's not my question. My question is, do you know the reason for why your soul was sent down to this earth? That's a big question. You don't have to answer this. I'm not like actually putting you on the spot. It's, it's a question, right? Do we know this about ourselves? It's almost like we started off the first time we became aware of self. We were already off and running, and now we're just doing stuff. But it's important to ask, ask the question, why am I here? What is my unique soul purpose? I think it was Mark Twain. I want to take a sip, but I also want to keep on talking. This is the dilemma of a rabbi. Anyway, so I think it was Mark Twain who said the following. He said, be yourself, everyone else is taken. And I love that line. I love that line. It's like, so often we try to be someone else. No, 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 no. God created only one you. There's never been a you like you. Might as well be the you, because they could be the them. It's going to get complicated with pronouns, right? Let them be who they are. But you, you and I, we have to be who we're meant to be. And so the question is, all right, so why is my soul here? It would be good to know that, right? It would be kind of helpful. So to enter into this conversation, I want, to read it. I want to read you a story. The story is found in text number one in this lesson. You can find text number one on the appropriate page. What page is that? Thank you very much. Page 38. Okay, so page 38, text number one. It's a long text, long story. I will read this. Here we go. A wealthy businessman and his coachman arrived in a city one Friday afternoon. The rich man was settled at the best hotel in town, and the coachman went off to his humble lodgings. Both washed and dressed for Shabbos, and then set out for the synagogue for the evening prayers. On his way to Shul, the businessman came across a large wagon that had swerved off the road and was stuck in a ditch. Rushing to help a fellow in need, the businessman climbed down into the ditch and began pushing and pulling at the wagon together with its hapless driver. But for all his finesse at handling the most challenging of business deals, when it came to extracting a wagon and a, and a team of horses from a muddy ditch, our businessman was hopelessly out of his depth. After struggling for an hour in the knee-deep mud, he succeeded only in ruining his best suit of Shabbos clothes, amassing a most impressive collection 
of cuts and bruises and getting the wagon even more impossibly embedded in the mud. Finally, he dragged his limping body to the synagogue, arriving a scant minute before the start of Shabbos. You with me so far? Story continues. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the coachman arrived early to the synagogue and sat down to recite a few chapters of Psalms. <coughs> at the synagogue, he found a group of wandering paupers and being blessed with the most generous nature. The coachman invited them all to share his Shabbos meal. When the synagogue sexton approached the poor and homeless to arrange meal placements for them with the town householders as is customary in Jewish communities, he received the same reply from them all. Thank you, but I've already been invited for the Shabbos meal. Unfortunately, however, the coachman's budget was hardly equal to his generous heart. It would be most difficult to believe that his dozen guests left his table with more than a shadow of a meal in their hungry stomachs. Thus, the coachman, with his 20 years of experience in pulling wagons out of mud holes, took it upon himself to feed a small army, while the wealthy businessman whose Shabbos meal leftovers could easily have fed every hungry man within a 10-mile radius, floundered about in a ditch. The story continues, or the, the lesson continues. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch, he was the previous Rebbe, told this story and explained its lesson. Every soul is entrusted with a mission unique to her alone and is granted the specific aptitudes, talents, and resources necessary to excel in her ordained role. One must take care not to become one of those lost souls who wander haplessly through life, trying their hand at every field of endeavor except for what is truly and inherently their own. Powerful. But before we unpack this further, I want, I want to ask you a very quick question. Is it a mitzvah? Was it a mitzvah that the coachman, sorry, that the businessman tried to help the coach? Sorry, wow. Was it a mitzvah that the businessman tried to help the wagon that was stuck in the mud out of the mud? Yeah. Yes? Good deed, right? Absolutely. Was it a mitzvah? Was it a good deed for the coach, for the wagon driver? To invite people over to his Shabbat table. Yeah. Absolutely. Did they do anything wrong? No. And yet, and yet, the moral of the story that this mystic draws from, from this episode, or from this parable, is very, very clear. And the moral of the story is that every, there's always, there are always good things to do. The question is not, is this a good thing to do? The question is, more precisely, is this my good thing to do? Is this most aligned with my purpose? You know, present company totally excluded. You know what, like, the motto of a procrast, uh, of a pro, procrastin, procrastin, pro, I suddenly have forgot words. Procrastinator, someone who procrastinates is, but the motto is, why do it tomorrow? If I can do it the day after tomorrow, that's a joke. But you know when it comes to procrastination, you know when words sound weird in your head and when you say them? Anyway, you know what's, what's unique about that? Not unique. One of the, one of the uh, tools of the trade is where you tell yourself, I know I have this very important thing to do. However, I have all these other also important things that I get it done right before I do this major thing. Right? And then when all of these, when this whole list is cleared, oh, I forgot all these other things that I have to do. I'll get to this big thing soon. 
don't worry, I'll get there, but I have to line up all these other things. And thus, we put other mitzvot in front of the one that we're meant to be addressing. Now, this is a major, a major piece, a major truth in life, is that sometimes we find ourselves, we may not even be aware of it, but we find ourselves wandering around and doing all sorts of things that are good things, but are not what is uniquely, the things that are uniquely um, designed for us to deal with. Yes. So I think it's a process, and you don't even find out unless you're experimenting along the way. Excellent. So trial and error, in order to find out what we're meant to be doing, what our soul (coughs) is aligned with. Maybe it takes some trial and error. Good. Tonight, yeah. Most of our lives are movies that we remember lines. In the movie Gandhi, when he was before the Mahatma, when he was the Smolahim Gandhi, he went around with people and everything, and he came across this village of starving people. They, they weren't allowed food, they had to do indigo for the British, and all these people are starving around him, and he's listening in his native uh, uh, made clothes, and, you know, and he didn't promise. And we didn't say, oh, this can't be done, they're going to be too powerful. Comedy said, what we can do, we will try. And I think this businessman, it's not just a mitzvah, it's a wonderful thing that he sacrificed his, he sacrificed his shops, clothes, and everything. And He's and, getting to the mud. And, Good. And even if he was late to Shabbos, you know, he was helping out someone in need. He was helping out. Good. And, and, and Excellent. I just remember that line. The whole time you're reading, it's something about that line. What we can do, we will try. Good. And I like Good. that so much better than this thing. Uh, <laughs> he's wandering around and... Uh, he's a lost soul. He, he should have his cell phone and called the AAA back. Or called the coachman. I'd be arguing with 500-year-old dead rabbis. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, the good news is at least they can't defend themselves. No, <laughs> your point is well taken. And I agree with your points. But there is something to be said also. Even if we take this story and, you know, and, and, and close it out. There's something to be said about knowing who we are, knowing what we're uniquely charged to do, and then focusing on that, not to the exclusion of the other things that come our way, in which we might not be able to get the job fully done, but we can do the best we can and show up and be there for those in need. That's also very important. But there's something to be said about knowing who we are and what we can most um, effectively do. And for that, on a spiritual level, it requires what I have coined, is a bit of a TM approaching, soul readings. Soul readings. You know like palm readings? It's not a Jewish thing. But <clears throat> a soul reading. Have you ever had a soul reading? Have you ever had your soul read? Tonight, we're all going to do a soul reading. You'll, do your, you'll read your own soul, but hopefully through this class, you'll get the tools to identify what your unique soul looks like. But that's by the end of the class. So hold on to that idea. (coughs) Excuse me, wow. Hold on to that idea that's coming up at the end. But in order to gain this very intimate knowledge and awareness of our soul character and destiny, we need to first look at the soul's spiritual parallel um, in the cosmic realm, which is right across from it. So just a quick... A quick note. The soul 
And the, um, the dimensions or personality of the soul is indicated in these circles on the left side. So tonight, before we get to breaking down what this looks like, the soul personality, we're going to look at the left side, which is the way this, this appears and shows up on a cosmic level in the world of Atzilut. But before we get to Atzilut, I need to ask, we need to present the following, well, what's going to emerge as a contradiction. We're going to start with two texts, text number three and text number four. And after we read these texts, I'm going to ask a very simple question. And I'll even tell you the question that I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the question, based on the text that we'll, we'll have read, does God possess definable qualities? That's going to be my question. Let's read these texts. Allison, you have to reading text 3 and text 4. They're, they're uh, one verse each, one from Proverbs and one from Chronicles. God with wisdom founded the earth with understanding, established the heavens with his knowledge, the depths were still. Per- perfect, and we have one more text for? Unto you, God, is greatness and power and beauty and triumph and splendor. For all in heaven and on earth is yours. Unto you, God, is kingship. Thank you. So I'm going to ask the question again now that we've read these texts. Based on text 3 and based on text 4, would you say that God possesses definable qualities? Yes or no? Based on these texts? Yes. Sure. Text 3 describes God as, or describes God as what? He has wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. In Hebrew, Chachma, Bina, and Dat. Okay, so that's clearly a definition, clearly ascribing some sort of definition and and attribution to God. And in text number four, we have uh, a whole host of, of, of adjectives. We talk about what? God's greatness, God's power, God's beauty, triumph, splendor, kingship, etc. There's also one in the middle over there that you have to look closely to find, but we're not going to spend time on that right now. The point is, that if you read these texts, so if I ask you, um, does God possess kindness? What would you say based on this? Sure. Does God possess wisdom? Absolutely. Does God possess power and might? Sure. Does God possess um, ambition? Yes. Does God possess kingship and sovereignty? Yes. Based on these verses, the answer would be yes. The problem with all of this is that we also, at the same time, we also know that Judaism has a unique understanding of God, and that unique understanding places God outside of definition and description. Take a look at text number five. Oded, if you don't mind reading. This, by, this text, by the way, comes from the Maral of Prague, the great um, 16th century rabbi of Prague, who is, the legend is that he created the golem. You guys know about the golem? He created this... Um, how would you describe a golem? Um, the clay protector. It was also his wrestling name. The clay protector. That's great. Yeah, like a clay protector. Literally. Yeah. This is going to be page 44. This is page 44. Text number 5. Oded, take it away. This is what the Maral says. Purposely refer to God as Kadosh, the Holy One, blessed 
be he, as opposed to the, intellect, the intelligent one, blessed be he. For God's true self is unknowledgeable. All that we know about God is that he is detached from the beyond every form of physicality and any existing entity. It is therefore appropriate to refer to God as the Holy One, for the term Kadosh describes an entity that is transcended. Indeed, God is Pshitut. Pshitut. The ultimate abstract simplicity. Okay, there's a lot. I told you we're going to get deep in Kabbalah here. Okay. Now, I was a Kabbalist. This is... We, we need to unpack this. I want to... St- let's start with, with language. This is an open question. How would, you tra- how would you define holiness? Go. Holy. What does holy mean to you? Holy. Anybody? Say it again. Reverence for, God. Reverence for God. Good. What else? Separate from the mundane. Se- oh, I like that. Separate from the mundane. What else? Transcendent. Transcendent. Good. What else? Godly soul. Sorry? Your godly soul. Godly soul. Good. 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 Uh, the, the closest definition that we have in Kabbalah of Kadosh, holy, is the idea of separate. Kadosh is Kadosh umuvdal. Kadosh means separate. Now we use in English, we use the word holy, but I'll tell you this, holy in English, I, frankly, I don't know what that word means. I don't know what Merriam-Webster writes about that in the dictionary, but what I do know is that in Hebrew, Kadosh is always used in reference to something that stands apart from everything else. That is, that is Kadosh. Holy means beyond, transcendent, different. Now, when we refer to God, one of the major ways in, in, in Jewish thought and Jewish uh, um, literature refer to God is as Hakadosh Baruchu. In English, it's the Holy One, blessed be He. But what is the Holy One? I don't know. It's the Kadosh, blessed be He. What's Kadosh? Separate, different, transcendent, beyond. So there's us and there's God. And specifically, what that means is that whereas, by, whereas we have definition, we have limitation, we have <laughs> description, we have ver- various attributes, God is beyond all of that. And if you look at that last line, which I love, indeed God is pshitut. What is pshitut? Pashut. Pashut literally means simple, but in Kabbalah it's not so simple that it means simple. In Kabbalah, you know what it means? Simple. Pure. Yeah, it's, but it's even a little bit different than pure. It's kind of like, pshitut um, means indescribable, undefinable, unknowable. It's almost like the difference between a ring that has an engraving in it you have a ring that has letters engraved in it or no engraving. It's just pure. It's, again, simple. I don't know if simple is the right word. It's pure. It's undefined. It's, un, it's unlimited. It doesn't have any shape. I know it looks like a ring, but I'm saying the letter. It doesn't have shape. It doesn't have description. It doesn't have letters. There's no message. It's just, it's pure. This is the way we conceive of God. God is beyond 
the handles that define us. Now, when you think of the word definition, every definition is, by definition, a limitation. Because you know what a definition means? Let's talk about language. When we say that a word has a definition, what we're saying is the word means something. Now, that's great to know, especially if you're learning a language. But you know what it means also? It means that this word doesn't mean anything else. This word doesn't mean everything. It means justice. Every definition is, by definition, a limitation. The moment you define something is the moment you're putting it into a box. We operate in a world of definition. Everything is defined. Everything has parameters. Starting from in our physical world of Asiya, everything has physical parameters. right? Time and space are hard parameters. Everything occupies a space. Everything has a definition. And when we talk about God as HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, the Kadosh One, what we're really saying, as the morale expresses, is that God is beyond definition. God is beyond handles. When I say handle, I mean like, God is beyond definition. God is beyond attribution. God is beyond limitation. Which then poses a contradiction to what we said before. Scripture calls God wise, understanding, knowledgeable, kind, strong, triumphant, um, sovereign. God refers to, Scripture refers to God with these handles, with these definitions. So which one is it? Will the real God please stand up? I think there was a show. I might be a little bit wrong, right? Will the real God please stand up? Is God, does God have att- attributes, definition, description, handles, right, features, or is God beyond all of that? And the answer is yes. All of the above. And if you're thinking, well, how is that possible? It's either or. So first of all, welcome to Kabbalah. But second of all, it reminds me of the story with the, when the two litigants came to the rabbi. You guys all know this story. It's the oldest joke in the book. Two litigants come to the rabbi, and one presents his side of the story, and the rabbi says, you're right. The other guy presents his side of the story, the rabbi says, you're right. <coughs> and in the other room, the rabbi's wife, the rabbi says, how could they both be right? And the rabbi says, you're also right. <laughs> right? Everyone's right. God has, God has definition. You're right. God is beyond definition. You're right. How can they both be right? You're right. It's all right. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking that it's, it's like connecting humans to this, you know, God. Like Good. Good. You're saying it's a, it's a, it's a connection point. It's a way to interface. Good. If God is too beyond, if God is too abstract and not concrete enough, it's not, you know the joke about the concrete. Oh. Again, many of you have heard me say this before, but if you haven't, trust me, this is a joke. Anyway, so the rabbi is getting uh, a new sidewalk. So a company's in there, they're pouring the sidewalk, and after they're done, they put tape around it, they put the thing around, like, don't touch. Meanwhile, the rabbi's inside his house, everything's drying, the neighborhood kids come by, and as neighborhood kids do, what are they doing? Putting their hands in, they're writing things down, right? They're doing all this stuff, messing up the, messing up the sidewalk. At some point, the rabbi looks outside, he sees the kids, throws open the door, <laughs> you good for nothings, you nudniks, how dare you? I'm going to call your parents and start berating them. 
Meanwhile, his wife, so many rabbis' wife stories here. Meanwhile, the wife, his wife, the Rebetzin, <coughs> hears her husband shouting at the children. She says, you always speak about the children being the future of our people and how we have to love the children and care for the children and understand the children and not shout at them. What's going on? He says, dear Rebetzin, he says, I love children in the abstract, but not in the concrete. <laughs> There's no way that that's, it's like the best joke. That one is the best. It's clearly, it's been voted. It's like that good barbecue sauce that's won all the awards. So you're right. He said, God has these handles, these definitions, because we have, that's our world, so God also has. But the question, the, the question is really, but, what, but who is God? Is God um, within our parameters, outside the parameters? How do we say both? How does that actually work? So I want to give a way of understanding it. You know what? It's interesting. Yeah, Maimonides talks about this. And he says, well, how do we refer to God as wise and strong? And you know, just read the Haggadah on Passover. With his mighty arm, he's really? With his mighty arm, God's really? What did that look like? An arm from heaven? Is that scooping us out? Oh, it's metaphor. It's allegory. Got it. So Maimonides says all of this stuff is allegory. It's not meant to be taken literally. The truth is, that the mystics, the Kabbalists, see, Maimonides was a philosopher. And the way that Jewish philosophy deals with this question is different than the way Kabbalah deals with the question. So we're going to actually not address Maimonides and focus on the Kabbalah. So here's the Kabbalah. Does God have definition or not? Here we go. To understand this, I'm going to share a parable. Imagine or a story Conceptual story. Imagine Albert Einstein, back in the day, is invited to speak and address and teach a class of, I'm going to use the word ordinary, but like this is not like the higher level, regular high school students. Albert Einstein, or as we'll call him Al. Kidding. Albert Einstein, Professor Einstein, is invited to speak to the local high school and to share his theory of relativity. Wow. You imagine now let's let's go through this together if Einstein gets up in front of the room and he gives a sheer right a lecture on his level are the kids gonna understand it no it's a bracha levatala it's just a waste of time right at this point it's a waste so what does he need to do help me out here let's go what does he need to do if he wants the kids to understand him huh gear to the level what does that look like what, what does that mean Dumbing it down. Okay. Now, he could also tell his life story. He could go in a completely different direction and say, here's where I grew up, and here's where I went to school, and here are pictures of me as a kid, and here's me with my tongue out. You guys know that picture, right? Okay? Right? There is a picture of him with his tongue out. Anyway, it's funny. Um, right? So this is, right? He could, he could go a completely different route and speak to the, to the kids on that level. But if he wants to teach something of his genius mind, he's going to have to bring it down. And the way he brings it down is by identifying, maybe, I'm sure there's many ways to do this, but one way might be to identify a core idea, a core point from his vast, brilliant mind and, and body of knowledge. One point, one idea, identify that, and then work on how is he gonna convey that idea to the kids, and then from that idea, maybe one day they can expand and know more, but 
He's going to bring down all this stuff in this one idea. <coughs> now, when he teaches, when he's actually presenting to these high school students, um, would you agree that this is a step down from where he normally is, the level that he's normally teaching? Yes? Yeah. You might say that, no. but Jeff is on to me. Yeah, God, God is coming down all the time. Oh, so once, oh, so. Good. And, and I don't understand what you're saying. Why does he have arms in here? God is amorphous and have and to make us see him with it with arms or not. Yeah, I, I see it more as a swirl. You mentioned Einstein. You know, Einstein says also, I don't know where I'm going after death, but I know my ashes are going to be part of the universe hmm. because they're all created from the big. Big Bang. We have every right. we have every element in us from the Big Bang, and that gave Einstein comfort, gave me comfort. That thing about heaven and everything. We, we're going back to God. Right. So so let's think about this for a second. So when Einstein is teaching to the high school students, so at first glance you could say, well, it's a step down from where he usually is. But on a deeper level, you can say the following: the fact that he can also teach high school students that he can take his wisdom and bring it down many, 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 many levels. That shows how great, how truly genius he really is. Because think about it. If he couldn't, if he was stuck on the higher level of learning and understanding, you know what that would mean? It means his mind is limited. Limited to the higher level. Does that make sense? Paradoxically, he's limited to this high level. So imagine you have two teachers. Imagine you have a teacher that teaches preschool. Preschool. And is not able, that teacher cannot teach a, a very advanced physics class. Just doesn't have, at this point, doesn't have that, that experience and that knowledge base. So you would say that that teacher is limited in their ability to teach. Great. Um, what about Einstein? If Einstein couldn't teach the high school students, he would also be limited. Although he, what, he's, a, he's a much greater teacher. Is he? I don't know. Everyone's stuck in their place. This teacher is stuck in, in teaching the little kids. This teacher is stuck in teaching... The big kids, but everyone's stuck. The true genius is the one who has the plasticity, the ability to move throughout both spaces, can teach up here and down there. When we speak about God and we try to speak about who God is and God's greatness, God's greatness lies not in his abstraction. God's greatness lies not in his transcendence. God's greatness lies not in the fact that he's undefinable and un unknowable. God's greatness lies in the fact that he can both be undefined and defined when he so chooses. The greatest thing you can say about God is God is not limited even to the unlimited. Does that make sense? Because that also constitutes limitation. Say that God is only transcendent and not in the here and now is also a limitation. That God does not possess, or God cannot possess, right? Artifacts of definition, that also is a limitation, paradoxically. Let me, I, I, let's read the text that expresses this. This is all in Kabbalah. Text 8, 47. I know we're skipping a few texts. We'll go back, or we won't, either way. Page 47, text number 8. Alex, please read this one. This is unbelievable. It's a short text. It carries a major, major wallop. Some have uh, no, text eight, four, page 47, the infinite one. 
Yeah, the infinite one is perfect without any fault. Should you assert that he has infinite power but lacks the power of finitude, you deny his perfection. You see that? If you say that God is only infinite and he lacks the power of limitation, you've just denied his perfection. In other words, there's three terms here. Maybe it's helpful to have a third term. One is limitation. One is infinite. And a third definition, a third label would be perfection. Perfection implies that you're not stuck in either of the other spaces. You're not stuck in limitation. You're not stuck in infinitude. You're not stuck in infinity. You are able to move freely between these two spaces. Remember uh, uh, we read text 3 and 4 and 5 and text 3 and 4 from the verses in Scripture talked about God being wise and God being understanding and God being knowledgeable and God possessing kindness and God possessing strength and God possessing the ability to triumph and God possessing the ability, etc. Remember we spoke about all, we said, well, hold on, God sounds like very limited, very defined, almost very human-esque. And then we had another text, and Morales said, no, 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 no. God has no characteristics, no definition, no limitation. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God is pshitut, God is undefined, God is beyond any limitations or any definitions. And I asked the question before, which is it? And the real answer is both. Because God is not only not limited to, to limitation, God is also not limited to the unlimited. God is not stuck in the space of transcendence either. Because if you were to say that, you would be denying his perfection in the language of Avodat HaKodesh in text 8. To say anything other than that, to say anything other than God also possesses the power of definition and limitation, self-definition limitation, is to deny his perfection. Does this make sense? Yes? Again, if, you th- if, if it ever gets cloudy, just think about the teacher. The perfect teacher, as it were, is the one who not only can teach at a high level, but also can teach on a lower level. And the truth is, when you have, and you know this, when you have a mastery over a subject, you can explain it to anyone. It's when you don't have a mastery over something that you stick, that you stick in the words that you heard and you can't explain it in your own words. That means you don't understand it. That means you're stuck. Oh, I can only explain Kabbalah by speaking jargon that no one else understands. Guess what? You don't understand it. That's why you're speaking that language. But go explain Kabbalah to a five-year-old. Right? Now that means you got it. It seems to me, Rabbi, that 90% of the prayers that we say yeah. are ascribing yes. qualities to Correct. you. Correct. Which it now sounds like we shouldn't be doing. No, we should. Because God, God chose that. Now we ask why. The answer is, right? As Jill said, the answer is because God wants a relationship with us. Because otherwise, how are we going to relate? So God chooses that also. But if God couldn't choose that, if God was stuck in infinity, like Buzz Lightyear, if God was stuck in infinity and beyond, that would be a severe limitation. God can also choose, like Einstein, if he's stuck in abstract you know, physics and he can't explain it to a teenager, he's lacking knowledge then, straight up. He says about King Solomon, 
that he could Rabbi, give three... Th- yes, yeah. Rabbi, it's Richard. Hey, Richard. If, if, hey, if, if, if God is ineffable, ineffable, then, then how, how do we have this conversation to describe uh, God? Good. Isn't that like an oxymoron? Yes. God, so ineffable means beyond description, right? Beyond any, um, any, any definition. And so that's the whole idea of today. Based on the verses that ascribe um, description and depiction to God, we're saying that this is a part of God's reality that God can choose to express and to manifest in such a way that he gains qualities. Not that isn't 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 I mean in in Kabbalah uh, God is the single entity. There yes. Is, all everything mm. else exists. Excellent. Within God. We Excellent. Exist within God. Beautiful. We, we we are we are uh, a part of God. We're contained within God. God is within within us. This is how we get to know God. And Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The God is one. We are all one. We are all interconnected. Yes. That drop of water that comes out of the ocean, and you can't discern that it came out of the ocean, and you put it back into the ocean, and, and you can't see that there was any difference. Correct. Yes, you're right. So if we're describing God with a definition, aren't we taking away from God's oneness? So to address this, I brought props and arts and crafts. Okay, literally, literally, I brought a scissors to class and some, when we were kids, we would call this construction paper, but now that we're adults, it's cardstock. Ooh, cardstock. I know, I know what you're thinking. Uh, The rabbi doesn't know that it's different because construction paper is more felty feeling. I know, trust me, I know. I'm just making a joke. Anyway, so here's the deal. I have, and I was looking for black and white. I hope you guys appreciate my sense of humor. If not, I do. So either way, it's fine. So I have white sheet of paper. I was going to go for black. I didn't find black in the office. But I figure blue, Israel, right, colors, can't go wrong. So uh, is there any, are there any words on this page? Oh, I feel like I'm setting you guys up. Uh, there aren't any The answer is no, there aren't. And you can check that, right? There's no words on the page. <laughs> Excuse me for a moment. <laughs> it's not actually a magic trick, but well, what? Oh, there you go. Everything I needed to learn, I learned in preschool. Almost. Excuse me for my lack of uh, cutting prowess. Y'all see that? Does the does it does um does the pap- does the white paper have any numbers on it? Does it manifest here as a number? Okay, this is Einstein's mind. Remember that old commercial? This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Remember that? 80s. 80s. Love the 80s. All right. Anyway, this is Einstein's brain. When he needs to teach the high school students, 10 because of the 10th row. We're going to get there in a second. 
So here's the deal. This projection of characters or alphanumeric characters, like numbers, I'll just say it straight up. Numbers, this right here, it's from the paper. It's not on the paper. The paper can show up. The white paper can show up like this, but that's because the other part is screened. This, hopefully, Richard answers the question. When we talk about God's attributes, it's not that God is gaining an attribute or you know, uh, becoming not one. Is God was one, and now he's like one plus ten attributes. No. All of the attributes, the sfirot, the sfirot means attributes. That's what we're talking about, gaining this attribution. The two verses that we had, three and four, um, text three and text four, those were three attributes plus seven, which is a total of ten. The ten sfirot or ten divine attributes are really the way the pure, divine, undefined divine shows up through various forms of masking other elements to project this singular projection of whatever the occasion calls for. Does that make sense? God is still one, God is still pure, and God also can show up in different ways. If I was a little bit more skilled at cutting out things and unfolding it, I would have cut out the word spherot. But this was way easier. So um, I hope you'll forgive me. So that is the idea. And by the way, all of what I'm telling you, none of this is mine. All of this is Kabbalah. I'm just, this, the goal of this course is to share with you the wisdom of Kabbalah, not my wisdom. So here we go. I want to just do a few texts here that speak to this. Um, and I want to quickly go through this idea. Take a look at text number six. <coughs> All right, Barry, you want to read text number six? Page 45, we're going back. Back to the future. Back to the best. You are one, but not in the numerical sense. You are exalted of all the exalted ones, even from all the beings. No thought can grasp you whatsoever. You are the one who has no constant ornaments. Thank you. What we see here is something absolutely phenomenal. Par this is from Tikkuni Zohar. This is from Zohar. Paragraph 1 and paragraph 2. Paragraph 1 describes God in God's state of infinity, of un uh, uh, lack of definition, undefined, indescribable, Pshitut, you are one, but not in numerical sense, beyond numbers, exalted above all the exalted ones, hidden from all the hidden ones, no thought can grasp whatsoever. There's no descriptions, no definition, nothing, garnished. Second paragraph, and you are the one who has brought forth ten ornaments, ten spherot, to reconcile worlds and reveal worlds. It's the same you, that's the vart, that's the idea. It's the same you. You are transcendent, and you brought forth a tense spherot, and you show up in that space or in that modality of revealing the tense spherot. That doesn't take away from you, as, I, as we kind of illustrated with this very, I guess, I don't know, crude example or basic example. It's the same one. It's the same ten. It's the same one. It's just, it's just showing up in a different way. The point here is that the same God that's beyond definition also assumes definition and description and sfirot 
And God shows up in 10 ways. If you want to see what these 10 ways are, we read it in the verses, but you can see it here once again in the map. Um, we should do a map drinking game. Every time I say, look at the map. L'chaim, <laughs> do a quick shot. Yeah, we would all be in the world of Atzilut right now. Here we go. So this, as one does, this side, yeah, left side right here, these are the 10 Svirot. If you count them, there's 11, right? Don't worry, because it has both Keter and Dat. When Keter is, is depicted, typically Dat is not. When Dat is depicted, typically Keter is not. We're not going to go through all these 10 right now. We will soon, when it comes to the human expression of these same 10 powers, the point that you need to know is that God is one. God is undefinable. God is unknowable. God is indescribable. And God also shows up in the image of these 10 uh, these ten um, descriptions in the form of definition. And why does he do so? We just read into Konezar. To conduct and to relate to our reality. In order to relate to us, we who live in the world of definition, we who live in the space of limitation, for God to relate, but more than relate, for God to affection, for God to create that, God had to almost project that within himself first. It's kind of like a stamp. And you're thinking, what? The things that you peel off and you mail things? First of all, who does that? I mean, really? Right? You just do it auto pay. I'm kidding. So here's the thing. The stamp, like old school stamps. You know, like a rubber stamp with things that are... <sighs> My first kid's bar mitzvah. So we went all out on the invitations. It was like by hand, we'd like, we poured wax... And then we had a custom, my wife custom carved the stamp and stamped it in while the wax was hot. You know, to seal the envelope. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? To seal the envelope, we, we poured some wax and then stamped it with like this fill-in situation. It was incredible. About a, in a little less than a year, we're going to have another Kizbar Mitzvah. He's lucky if he gets an Evite. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm kidding. Shai, I love you in case you're ever watching this. Um, here's the deal. The point is a stamp, you're not going to make an impression if you don't have definition. If there's no definition, there's no impression. That's the way it works, right? Like no shirt, no service, no, no definition, right? No impression. It goes hand in hand. For God to make a world of impression, for God to make an impression in our world, to God to create for God to create this defined, right, limited, articulated space, God had to first project within himself these 10 modalities, these 10 spherot. That is part and parcel of how this works. Otherwise, how do you, how do you create, how do you direct this, uh, this reality if not for God also possessing this ability? This ability of definition. Make sense? Yes? Sort of? Okay. Now, um, what does Atsilo mean? Oh, and all of this happens in the wild and crazy world of Atsilo. That is where this happens. Atsilo is still a divine world. It's a godly world. It's not a world of otherness. It's not a world of separation. Remember, very importantly, the Svirot exists 
in God's space. It looks like tense we wrote, but it's really God's space. The backdrop, the reality of what you're seeing is still God. It's still God. It's not otherness. <coughs> Excuse me. From Bria down, this is what we spoke about last week. Bria is the world of creation. That's where otherness emerges. The tense we wrote are not other. They're God showing up in a form of a It's Einstein showing up to a bunch of high school students. That's what that is. It's still God. So Atsilut, the world that we're describing tonight, the world of Atsilut is a world of godliness. With definition, but it's not otherness. Does that make sense? Otherness begins after Atsilut. After Atsilut down is otherness. Atsilut itself is God. But maybe more accurately, godliness, which is God with the last name. No. Okay. Trying. So, regardliness. All right. Second attempt also failed. Abort mission. All right. Thank you. It's right. So, it's God showing up with, with a little bit of, uh, of, of style and pizzazz, with a little bit of, of, of interest, not just pure God, it's God with some description. Now, take a look at what Atsilot means. Text 9b. Text 9b. Talia, will you read text 9b, please? Uh, page 48. Page 48, nine, yeah, text 9b. Thank you. So we have here in this one text, in this one paragraph, two reasons why that world, the world of Sfirot, is called Atsilut. Number one, Atsilut means emanation. Emanation is different than creation. Creation implies something new that's being created. Emanation implies it's me showing up in a different way. It's me with a party hat. I'm not saying God puts on a party hat, but I'm also not saying he doesn't wear a party hat. Right? This is emanation. This is God, undefined, showing up as 10. That's what this is. This is emanation. There's still God emanating through the screen. Whereas the world of creation is, there's God, and now there's a plus one. Great. That's one reason why it's called Atzilut. Atzilut meaning emanation of the, of the original source, of the OG source. Then you have a second understanding of Atzilut. Atzilut also comes from the word Eitzel. Eitzel means near or together with. Atzilut and the Sfirot are Eitzel, are near God. They're near God, meaning they're not separate. It's not a new entity. It's not a separate entity. Now, at this point, we're going to shift gears and draw the parallel or explain the parallel that exists within the human soul. Every, at every class, we, go, we do a deep dive into the cosmic understanding of things and then explain and explore the, par- the human parallel of the same concepts and hopefully bring it home in a very real way, which we, were, which we are about to do. Before we do that, I just noticed in the book, page 50 and 51, is a really beautiful infographic 
Not for now. <coughs> Excuse me. Not for now. But in your, in your uh, you know, I don't know, it's homework, but in the time between this week and next week or at any time, you can feel free to look at that. This depiction, this infographic, illustrates how the Jewish uh, daily morning prayer is divided into four rungs. You know the story of Jacob when he has to run away from home because his brother wants to kill him? You know, usual family dynamics. Anyway, you know, the huge. That's like, brother wants to kill him. Sorry, get a bounce. See you later, guys. Anyway, so he leaves. He goes to sleep somewhere. He's, you know, just lying, just lying on the road, and he has a dream of a ladder, Jacob's ladder, right? And on the ladder, he sees angels going up and going down. Kabbalah says, how many rungs did the ladder have? This is not a joke or a riddle. The ladder had four rungs corresponding to these four worlds. Between us and heaven are four dimensions, Asiya, Yitzira, Bria, and Atzilut. And these four rungs are also synonymous with the rungs of tefillah, the rungs of prayer. Prayer is also a ladder. Prayer is the tool that we use to ascend our consciousness up to God. And so the prayers literally take us on a journey through these four worlds. That is what the infographic depicts. If that sounds fascinating, great. I'm not going to teach it. You can look at it. It's all there inside. Here's the deal. Just as God emanates Svirot, they're not created. They're not anything new. It's God emanating Svirot. It's Einstein emanating a lesson for the high school students from his wisdom, but it's showing up in a new way. Right? As God emanates the Svirot, God also implants within our soul the Svirot. And that's the definition of our soul. Our soul has these ten defining qualities. These are not what we said last week, the garments of the soul that are a separate layer. The difference between the body and the garment is the body is the actual body. This, the garment is the layer on top that you can take off, switch out, etc. The same thing is true with the soul. There's the soul and the garment of the soul. Thought, speech, and action are the garments of the soul. You can switch what you're doing. You can stop doing you Sit on your hands and not do anything. You can speak. You cannot speak. You can redirect your thoughts. You cannot think. Um, but you can redirect your thoughts. You can supplant one thought for another thought. Or with another thought. But here's the deal. All of that are the garments. That's last week. That's so last week. But this week, we're talking about what the soul is. And what the soul is, and it's parallel to Atsilut, the soul is composed and comprised of ten soul powers. The ten spherot in human form. And what does that look like? Well, L'chaim, <coughs> what that looks like is right here on the chart. On the map. Take a look at the map on the right side. Here we go. Um, forget the yellow circle at the top. Ignore the yellow. That's not one of the ten right now. The ten are the ten beneath it. We have the color-coded in black. Three of them are color-coded black. Three, uh, seven of them are color-coded in that gray. You guys see what I'm talking about right here? Right here? Okay. On the right side. Top right, Chachma. Top left, Bina. Well, hold on one second. You can, if you want to know the Hebrew words, look at the other side after all that. After I drew your attention so elaborately to the right side, look at the left side. Awkward. Chachma, Bina, Dat, Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, Malchut. What do these mean in the human condition? Right side. Creativity is Chachma. 
Bina, oh, comprehension. Ugh, I don't like that one. Analytics, analytical thought. You know, some people have a mind that's so creative, but then you ask them, well, but how are you gonna build that? And they're like, I don't build. I come up with the ideas. And then there are people who analyze data. You give them a, a give them a, and they can figure stuff out, right? Not necessarily creative, but this is making sense, making sense of this information. That's Bina. That's Bina. And now that you know what Bina is, I feel bad because I spilled the Bina's. Bina's. Right. No, I got that line from, okay, I have a video of Kabbalah on YouTube. I have one, there's one video, I have a lot of videos, but there's one video that's, for whatever reason, has gone like viral. It's like three quarters of a million views. I don't know if that's viral, but for me, that's viral. But somebody wrote, and one of the best comments is like, Rabbi, who let you spill the binas? I thought that was a cute, I thought that was a cute line. Bina means comprehension or analytical understanding. Next, that is personalization. Okay, that could work. So Chachma again, we're gonna go through all these. Chachma is the creative mind. You don't have the solution. You're thinking, what is the solution? Aha, it's depicted in comic strips and cartoons as a light bulb going off. Like a flash, like, ooh, aha, I got it. At that point, can you explain it? No, you can't, but you know you got it. You sense that you got it. There's a creative flash of insight. That's Chachma. Bina is analytical understanding, comprehension, figuring things out. It takes time. It's a linear experience as opposed to a once-off. Chachma is like seeing, and Bina is like hearing. You see something all at once, but if someone's going to describe what they saw, it's going to take them a little while. They're going to have to describe it. Go to a museum. Okay, go to the Louvre. How do you say Louvre? Did I say that right? Louvre. Anybody been to the Louvre? Anybody? No? Yes? I haven't. I can't even pronounce it. I can barely pronounce it. So you go there and you look at the Mona Lisa. Boom, you got it. Great. She looks like she's having either a great day or a very bad day. Can't figure it out. Right? And is she watching me? Is that one of the ones where the eyes move? Yes or no? I don't know. I never saw it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. And, but then if you want to describe it to someone else, oh, you can't just... I mean, you could just take a picture, but if you want to describe it, it's going to be a very linear process. Well, this is the frame. This is the size. Apparently, it's very small. Right? It's smaller than you think. That's what they say. Back to the story. All of that is Chachma Bina. What is that? That is... You've got to follow the dots. No. Trying. That is where you insert yourself in the knowledge. It's no longer abstract. It means something to you. Like, I can know a lot of things, but is it relevant? Here's the example. Bertrand Russell. He was a professor in the last century, the 1900s. Remember that? The 1900s? That sounds so weird to say. The 1900s. That sounds so weird. I was born in the 1900s. He invented the Who? Nice. He was a philosopher. He was also math. He also taught mathematics. He was a jack of all trades. He said for five years he would go down to his study at nine o'clock in the morning, work at the table for six hours, and go back out. And after five years, he discovered the null set. Took five years to figure out nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Right there, you go. (laughs) He taught a lot of things. Apparently, although he taught ethics. He was involved at some point in his life in something quite unethical. One of his colleagues called him out on it, said, you teach ethics and this is what you're doing? And his response is incredible. He said, I also teach trigonometry and I'm not a triangle. 
So that was his response. That was his response. It is epic to this day. And the moral of the story is, that's what knowledge looks like when there's no dot. Dot means that you are invested in that and you embody that information. It's not just there's me and there's abstract information. It's me being um, connected with that. That is connection. That is, in this language of this black circle, personalization. Moving on, moving on to the emotional attributes. And in case you're wondering, well, how do you know if it's intellectual or emotional? Color-coded, turn it to the side, look for these words over here, take off your glasses, or don't. Intellect and emotion, you see that, how it's coded also over there on the side? All right, whatever. Anyway, the emotions. Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Chesed is kindness. Gevura is discipline. Teferet is harmonization. Now let me tell you what they really mean. Chesed is giving. Gevura is withholding. Teferet is compassion or empathy. And, and we need to spend some time on this, just, just a minute or two on this, because these are probably the, the most important of the emotional attributes of our soul. Chesed is an open hand. Chesed is a generous spirit. Chesed is the, the, energe- the energy, the, the direction of chesed's energy is a flow from within to without. It's the arrow is pointing outward. Gevura is pointing the other way around. It's pointing from outside in. It's restraint. It's withholding. Gevura is limitations. Boundaries creating space. Chesed is about collapsing space. Chesed is, I feel close, I want to get closer. Gevura is, let's create some space. You need both. We have both. We have both um, um, abilities and even feeling and movements inside of ourselves. Um, Teferet literally means beauty. It means harmony. It's a mix between the two. It's well, it's really psychological gvura and behavioral chesed. You see, chesed doesn't judge. Chesed is open giving. Gvura is a lot of judgment. Gvura is, hold on, do we need to give? Should we give? Should we withhold? Should we take a break? Should we step back? Gvura, there's a lot of judgment in gvura, and sometimes the conclusion is not to give. Teferit is psychological gvura and behavioral chesed. Teferit has the analytics of gvura, has the judgment of gvura. Right? You see somebody that's down on their luck. You, you're in the mode of teferah compassion. You're judging them as down on their luck. Chesed doesn't even look. Chesed's like, sure, take. I'm giving, right? Take, give. That's what that's what chesed is. Gvura is judge, ju- is being judgmental. Teferit also judges, but the conclusion is this person is in such a such a, a difficult spot, such a such a terrible state. Let me give. Psychological gvura, behavioral chesed. Hope that makes sense. Let's move on. Netzach is ambition. Netzach is the ability and the drive to push through obstacles, to see a task through or a vision or a dream through to the very end, despite how many walls, barriers, ninjas, and teenage mutant ninjas, or whatever, are in the way you push through. Hod. Hod is yielding. It's humility. Oh, literally, it says that. Yielding. That's great. I like that translation. Hod is yielding. If Netzach guns it, you ever get to those merges where like everyone is alternating and there's the one guy that's not alternating? It's like, bro, you didn't alternate. You just gunned it. That's Netzach. Hod is the guy that lets two people go in front. 
which is also infuriating. I'm kidding. I'm, this is no judgment. <laughs> judgment-free zone. Judgment-free zone. But you know what I'm talking about. No judgment. Anyway, Netzach and Hod, two opposites. That's why they're opposite poles. Yesod, connection, foundation. Malchut, uh, implementation. I don't know. Malchut is leadership. Malchut is about getting things done. I guess that's implementation. This is a quick dive, a quick journey into the 10 Sfirot as they show up within the human condition. Here's the question. Simple question. Simple question is, who are you? Who are you? Are you chesed? Are you, and, and I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm all of the above. Yeah. I, I got all 10. And you do have all 10. But here's the deal. No one who's ever lived has had your exact blend of, you know, you know what a soundboard looks like? You're mixing audio. Right, so I mix my podcast in this massive. St- I don't. Um, I record it and I upload it. We're done. So, but you ever see like one of these mixers? You got like a thousand things. You know who uses a mixer? Taylor Swift is using a mixer. I know she's not doing it. I don't know. Just to mention Taylor Swift. I have a bet that I could work Taylor Swift into a class. Done. I'm kidding. I was just a new thing that came to my head. Look, you have a mixer. You have a soundboard. You have like thirty channels. Boom. You're gonna. Pump up the bass. Whatever else you pump up or, or decrease, right? You just move things around across the uh, sound wave spectrum. Um, every... No, it's like every, what is a wavelength? Every um, frequency. Frequency of sound has another slider to it. Every instrument has a slider, right? Every soul, every human soul has all 10 powers, but there's never been that precise combination of attributes that you have. In general, you could say, oh, this person's more chesed, person more gvura, right? This person, no rules. This person hates rules. This person loves rules. Chesed, gvura. That's easy, right? Easy to spot. Um, but the truth of human personality is so much more nuanced. Here's an example of Chesed and Gvura in their bolder states. I love this story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this. I'll read this. Text 12. Take a look at this. Story that the Talmud teaches. A non-Jewish man, page 56. A non-Jewish man once approached Shammai. Shammai was one of the great sages of his day. And told him, I would like you to convert me to Judaism on the condition that you teach me the entire Torah while I stand on one foot. Shammai responded. He used the builder's measuring tool, I guess that's like a ruler, that he was holding to chase the fellow away. And I, I just, I, it, it warms my heart to think that he was saying, why I oughta, as he was chasing him away. However, the prospective convert then approached Hillel, who was another sage and a contemporary of Shammai, with the same request. Hillel converted him, telling him, whatever you hate being done to you, do not do to your fellow. That is the entire Torah. The rest is commentary. Now go and learn the rest. (laughs) That's great. Who's the chesed? Who's the gvura, guys? Who's who's the chesed persona here? Shammai or Hillel? Hillel. Who's the gvura? Shammai. Absolutely. Every day of the week, 
What's going on here? This guy says, hey, I'd like to convert to Judaism. Teach me Torah on one foot. Shammai says, how dare you? Disrespectful. Torah is so big and so broad and so grand, and you want Torah on one foot? They do that here Shabbat afternoon by the Kiddush. There's a short class called Torah on one foot. It takes about 15 minutes. No one's standing on one foot. Everyone's sitting down. Um, you want Torah on one foot? Get out of here. What is this? Judgment, judgmental. Harsh. Right? It's, Hillel says, absolutely. I don't even need more than five seconds. What you don't like, don't do it to anyone else. Boom. Next. Next request. What else you got? Right? I got so much time. I got so much more balance here. He says, now go learn the rest. But he's open. He's embracing. He's loving. He's accepting. Now, if you had a rank, who seemed like the nicer guy? What would you say? Hello. But the truth is, it's not fair to say that. Oh, wait, I just said that. No, but it's really not fair to say that in the sense that everyone has chesed and gvura. And some people, based on their soul wiring, S-O-U-L wiring, they're just, their gvura is more amped up than their chesed. We don't determine that. All of that is hardwired. We have all 10 points of energy in our soul. But the exact combination of those frequencies, which are higher, which are more amplified, and which are less pronounced, that is, by nature, not in our control. As the soul emanates, by the way, our souls emanate from the world of Atzilut, that world where the Sfirot are, are, playing, are, are hanging around. Right? That's where we come from. Our souls come from there. And as our soul comes from there, it takes on a certain soul print. Just like every fingerprint is different, every soul print is unique and different. And so here's the deal. I started the class by asking the question, do you know your purpose in life? Here's what the Kabbalists say. If you can identify what your soul strengths are, what is more amped up within your internal being, that can give you a clue as to where to invest your energies. And to give you an example of how this plays out, let's read a mystical text. All right, we're getting close. We're getting close to the big finale here. Take a look at this text. This is text number, hold on, stay with me. Text number fifth. Ooh, wait, 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 wait. Stop. This is going to be text 16. But before we get to text 16, look at page 62 and 63, but mainly 63. <clears throat> this is going to be what you do. This is your work. No one can do this for you. This is, this is all 10 spherot are here. I, we went through them. I described them. You know, we didn't spend a lot of time on it. But here are some key words. Take a look, you know, after the class, at any point, find the quiet moment. Take five minutes. Look through these. Are you creative, original, or analytical, logical, organized, studious, emotionally present, focused, generous, kind, I'm literally doing this. I said, we're not doing this. I can't stop doing this, right? Look at these descriptions and I circle the ones that most represent and most express and most um, reveal who you are by nature, right? Do this and then you can identify, oh, look at me. I've got a lot of Bina, I've got Teferet, and I've got a lot of um, Yesod. 
That's your unique, it doesn't have to be three, it could be one, it could be five, whatever it is. But look for your strengths. And once you do that, then you can do a process similar to what it stated in text 16. Let's, I'm going to read this, text 16, page 65. God provides each individual with a unique set of abilities. Each of us must pursue our divine mission in accordance with our specific abilities and potentials, for they indicate our personal responsibilities in life. And here he gives three examples. Say, for example, that God gave you significant intellectual abilities. It is your duty to utilize those abilities to study Torah and to invest all your energy into this endeavor. True, you're required to observe the other mitzvot and to commit yourself to all obligations shared by all Jews. Nevertheless, since you have a unique aptitude for Torah study, you need to be extra particular and passionate about it. Or, if you are graced with strong emotional sensitivity, it is your duty to utilize the sensitivity to show love and care to others. <coughs> this includes sharing Judaism's rich heritage with Jews who have never had the opportunity to learn about it and inspiring them with love for God and love for the Torah. Again, you are also obligated to study Torah and observe the other mitzvot, but your main passion should be reserved for the above stated activities as indicated by the very fact that you have unique abilities in this area. Perhaps you are pragmatic by nature. You know how to get things done. In that case, your duty is to achieve practical projects. If there's a need to establish an institution for Jewish education, for example, it is your calling to put your abilities into practice by actively pursuing every effort to open the institution. If there is a need to solve a particular challenge that, it, that inhibits the student's performance, the building is too frigid, the dorm requires cooling, a lot of HVAC talk over here, right? Make it your duty to solve the challenge expeditiously, or perhaps you can effectively alleviate the plight of the poor and homeless and the like. Certainly you must also study Torah and act with emotional sensitivity, but your overarching purpose is to get things done. Here, this is a quote from the Rebbe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe sets out the following and just models this, in, I don't know models, but, but kind of walks us through this process in a beautiful way. He says, look, you know who you are. And if you need help, um, again, look at that chart and then you can help more clearly identify what your strengths are. Look at your strengths. If your strength is Bina, right, you're studious, then Torah, focus on Torah. That's your calling. I'm saying Jewishly, right? There's other things you could do also, but Jewishly, Torah is your calling. If you are, if you have a strong emotional sensitivity with a lot of chesed, a lot of kindness, so then invest yourself in helping others. That's where, that's where, you're, that's where you're meant to be. That's your sole mission. That's your sole purpose. What if you're more of a malchut? Go get, you get things done. Malchut is the last of the spherot, the last of the energies. It's about getting things done. What if, you're a per, what if you're a closer? Like you close the deal. You get things done, right? You don't have all the ideas. You don't have the sensitivity. All of that, other people can have, but you get things done. Then your mission is, you got it, to get things done. If something needs to happen, that's your job. This is what it means. I asked you at the beginning of the class, do you know your soul's purpose? The answer is, you do follow your soul strengths. Follow your strengths. Lean into your strengths. The fact that your soul looks the way it looks is not by cosmic accident. It's by divine design. Right? That's why you have your soul to get something done, to do something unique that only you can uniquely do with your Unique combination of herbs and spices. Sorry, your unique combination of soul, powers, and abilities. And finally, I want to end with one plot twist. Remember Shammai? The guy who chased the guy away? 
He's like, how dare you? Here's what he said later on in life. This is great. Text 18. Last text, page 67. Shammai would say, it's page 67, text 18, Chai. Shammai would say, make your Torah study a permanent fixture of your daily schedule. Okay? Shammai is Gevura. That sounds very disciplined. Right? Discipline. Make, fix your daily schedule. Say a little and do much. Right? Stoic. Don't talk a lot. Just get things done. Gevura. And final quote. Receive every human being with a pleasant countenance. Shammai? With a p- every human being? Should be- Don't you remember the time you chased that guy out the door? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. He was very happy. He was gleeful even. You know what this means according to the commentaries? He learned from Hillel. And this is the final lesson for today. If you find yourself... If you, if you recognize within yourself that you have, for lack of a better term, a weakness in a certain area, you can work on that to create a strength. Or at least to lift it up a little bit more, to emphasize a little bit more. Two out of three statements of Shammai are gvura-oriented. But the last one, the last one is a little bit of chesed. Even a guy like Shammai, even a guy can learn some new tricks. The message is we are not stuck in our soul print. Right? Neuroscience talks about the plasticity of the brain. And Kabbalah speaks about plasticity of the soul. I just coined that phrase. Plasticity of the soul. My new book. Plasticity of the soul. Plasticity of the soul means that you and I have the ability. Maybe not to completely reinvent ourselves. But we have the ability to reorient ourselves and to learn some things along the way. And so here's the moral of the story. And here's the takeaways, at least my takeaways for tonight. Number one, number one, before the world, before otherness emerges, before separation happens from God, before self-awareness even begins, the first step or the step before all of that is where God manifests himself in defined forms, 10 specific defined forms. To create definition, God first assumes definition. It's still God. It's still God, Lee, not to be confused with his brother, Stan, joking. I'm try, I'm try, try to work that for the third time. I'm sorry. Anyway, you know, Spider-Man, Stan Lee, Marvel Comics, right? Back, to, you know, I'm, I always do this, interrupt myself. Back to the story. So, <laughs> before God creates the world of separation, God first assumes within Himself definition, self definition, emerging as the ten spherot. God also parallels them within our soul structure. God gives us the ability to move outside ourselves in the realm of thought, speech, and action to separate from who we are and to do what needs to be done, to say what needs to be done, to think what needs to be thought true. But within us are these 10 parallel soul powers. Each one of us has a unique combination of soul powers, some dominant and some, what's the opposite of dominant? Some recessive. 
Yes, recess, I think recessive is the, I don't know, it's the one that resonates with me. So dominant and recessive. Dominant genes, recessive, dominant powers and, and those that are not so dominant. So message one, takeaway number one is, when you're thinking about why, why am I here, just look at your soul. What is your, follow your soul's lead. What do you look like? What do you look, what do you look like inside? And follow that path. That's probably where you're meant to be. Leverage your strengths. But don't forget to also work on your weaknesses. This is the final message from Shammai. And I want to end with this. Never trust a rabbi when he says, I'm going to end with this. Because there's always, <laughs> so always like another 10 minutes. But I will end with this. Every morning, every morning, we say the following prayer. Oof. It's in the book in case you want to look. Text 13. This is in the morning. We say, Elikai Neshama. My God, the soul you place within me is pure. Number one. You created it, number two. You formed it, number three. You breathe into me, number four. Those are the four worlds. Bria, Yitzira, Asiya. Created, formed, and breathed are the last three. That's last week. But the first one, that first description is today's class. The soul you place within me is pure. It has definition. It has soul powers. It has a unique blend. But at the core, it is pure. When you wake up in the morning, that is the affirmation. My soul is pure. My soul is uniquely suited for my opportunity to create some difference, to create light, to make a difference in this world and bring light into this world. No one can do it like I can do it. And with that, with that affirmation, may we indeed take on each day and create something special. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for lesson number two of the world of Kabbalah. Thank you. You're so kind. Now, one quick mention. Oh, look at that. He's still not done. All right. Next week's, next week's class. I know what you're thinking. Next week's class is cold. Now, I have a thing when I teach and I'm so invested in the class, there's zero chance I can remember what's coming up next week. So that's why I write it down in my notes. Next week, the class is entitled, one second, the class is entitled The Infinite Light. Above Atzilut. And the 10th sphere, which we spoke about today, lies a reality that surpasses all limitation, even self-imposed definition. We call this higher dimension, because again, we're, go- we're scaling up. We call this our ain't sof, the infinite light. So join me next week for a spectacular third less session of the world of Kabbalah as we learn about the infinite light and explore its human parallel in the form of willpower. That is next week. You don't want to miss it. Same bat time, same bat channel. You guys are amazing. Thank you.